Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom Estate. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Thank you for calling this edition. Uh, thank you for tuning in to this edition of The Gift of Freedom. Um, I'm Roy Paul, your host, and tonight we're going to be talking about uh, the Michael Brown and Eric Garner brand jury verdict. Um, in both cases, the police were not indicted for the deaths of unarmed black men um, weeks before the shooting death. Um, there, uh, uh, Michael Brown, this August, murdered in Missouri. The death of Eric Garner set off its own wave of protest. The father of six died in July of being arrested for selling illegal cigarettes in Staten Island after a police chokehold renders him unable to breathe on Wednesday. Grand jury decided not to indict Daniel Pantaleo, who was the Supreme Court's police officer who was making that arrest. So there are plenty of differences between the cases of Garner and Brown, uh, but one particular contrast remains salient. There was no footage of Michael Brown's death, only eyewitness accounts and conjecture leaving minds to imagine. Uh, a standoff between an officer and a civilian, a standoff that ended with the image of Brown lying dead in the street for over four hours. Garner's death has harrowing digital footprints. His attempted arrest and struggle for air were captured on a wildly disseminated video. His final words were, I can't breathe. In the aftermath of the verdict, many will likely point to the fact that the coroner's report ruled Garner's death a homicide and that the chokeholds that was used are expressively forbidden of the New York Police Department. Uh, as you may have been reading, there are some varying different points. And we'll start with the Eric Garner case, because I think that was the most poignant um, because of the video that, that was here. Uh, and uh, I, I think from uh, a kind of grave point of view, it's interesting to view both cases um, as, as such that is tied to uh, two black men killed by two white police officers. Uh, in the case of Eric Garner, you've got a man who's on the video, and whichever way you believe the grand jury should have gone, um, there was uh, some varying degrees uh, in terms of facts. We know that uh, Eric Garner uh, was someone who, even if he had been arrested and was wrong and uh, had committed a crime, it was a low-level crime. So in cigarettes, is not something that uh, is uh, tantamount to attempted murder, for example. But he was not being arrested or uh, questioned or accosted by the police for doing something that was uh, a high-level felony, uh, a misdemeanor, if that, under the law. Uh, so then he gets into a position where 
Uh, he is uh, seen in the video as trying to brush off the police officers, uh, which many would consider to be evading arrest, which I think uh, is one of the arguments that was made to justify uh, the police officers' use of uh, excessive force. So you look at the video and you proceed to then see Michael, uh, Eric Gardner on the floor. On the floor. Uh, and he is saying uh, quite audibly, I can't breathe, and he says that a few times. Meanwhile, there is not just that one police officer in question, but other police officers surrounding Eric Gardner on the floor while he is, uh, I would say, detained um, and uh, in police possession and care. Uh, he then proceeds uh, to continue to say, I cannot breathe. Uh, that was following the protest uh, and the chokehold when that one police officer in question. And many people would say, look, this is a 300-pound guy. He's, he's overweight. I think Congressman Peter King was on CNN or one of the news wires saying that he is um, uh, a huge man. He was resisting arrest. And the police officers had no choice, quite frankly, but to detain him in the best way that they knew how, and the fact that he died was a casualty. What's the big deal? That's some of the argument. If he really couldn't breathe, would he be talking? That was another point. But I think it's important to note here, the regard or the lack of regard for human life. Um, here at the Gist of Freedom, we always try to give you both sides of uh, the spectrum. We don't want to just give you the pro, but we also give you the con, which is why I went through um, a litany of uh, pros and cons, uh, depending on what your perspective is to this particular story. And I think it's important uh, to, to then state why it was that people were up in arms about what was happening here in this particular case. But I also think it's important to note is we never really delve into what is being left behind. A lot of these families uh, are lost. Uh, they have uh, displaced a member of someone's family. Eric Gardner had a wife, uh, and he had children, he had grandchildren. And I think it was very important to note in this particular press conference that was held today by the National Action Network, which was founded by the Reverend Al Sharpton. There was a reporter, Dominic Carter, who used to be with New York One and then transferred over to RNN, who asked the wife, uh, the police officer in question has apologized. Do you accept the apology of that police officer? And I think if you have an opportunity to Google or to check the uh, footage of that press conference, you would hear her say, I do not accept the apology, and now I have to go find someone to take care of my children, find someone to be grandfather to my kids, kids, and to play Santa during Christmas to what her husband did. I think that's very, very poignant, and we very often do not tie those situations together with each other for whatever reason. It's just very sad and it's somewhat depressing sometimes to think about the loved ones that are left behind 
And now it's really a question of uh, what happens with, with the case, whether or not uh, there's going to be uh, a uh, charge on behalf of the United States federal government and whether or not that will produce federal charges or, or won't. I know that this is something that Loretta Lynch, who was just appointed as the United States Attorney General, is going to be dealing with, um, as, as well as um, the uh, United States Attorney uh, Senators has pressed and called for this investigation. It's going to be very interesting to see how the chips fall on this particular case. Uh, to determine what exactly is going to happen here. And even as I express myself during this interview, it's, it's very difficult uh, to to picture what the family could have been going through. The law in both cases, which I think gives the similarity when it comes to the charging or the indictment of police officers, has a very high threshold, and that threshold is in order to indict a police officer for the killing of someone, that you have to prove that there was uh, quote-unquote intent to kill, that despite the nature of their work and their capacity as uh, people who are supposed to be maintaining law, that they acted in a way that was so egregious that they intended to harm or kill someone. And if that burden is not met, you do not have um, you do not have a case for an indictment. And it, it's so high that you begin to wonder and question whether or not there is going to ever be justice in these types of cases because who else would go out and actually have intent, the malicious intent to kill? Where, when, how is that ever? So it's a very important question if the reform is going to happen. What kind of reform will take place we have to then express intent to kill. It's very special. Same thing in the Michael Brown case. Different scenario. But you still have the case. Um, where a black man is, is killed, murdered. And all you have to say, some people would argue, is either they felt as if they were in danger or they felt as if they had reason to pull the trigger as a police officer in these particular cases. So if you're going to talk about reform, then you have to talk about what the government's going to do in requiring residency 
some people would say that that's a solution to the problem. If you have police officers who are from the neighborhood that they patrol, and theoretically they will be of the same ethnicity, gender, uh, socioeconomic background. It's up for debate. Very up for debate. But that's something that we've discussed and we've seen in several times. There really is just a question about how do we perform reform? How do we perform reform? How do we perform reform? That's the question here. In order to get reform, how do we perform reform? So, as we move forward in these conversations uh, with law enforcement, and I think these conversations need to be had. The question is, what can be done within the police department to enact serious reform? There's been questions about the body cameras. The New York City Police Department has enacted a pilot program to require certain police officers to wear that lapel pin that acts as a camera. And the question is, well, if you've got police officers with the body cameras, they approach suspects, and then they will be in a position to be on guard because everything that they do is going to be taped and recorded by those cameras. Some people say that's reform, as it is. Very difficult to kill someone maliciously or non-maliciously put someone in the chokehold, maliciously or non-maliciously, knowing that every single thing that you do is going to be on the camera. And that's what people who are advocates of reform have been suggesting as one of the best alternative programs that you can do right now to enact some serious, serious problems. We would love to get your thoughts on that if you would. Listening, please call in to the Gift of Freedom. 347-324-5552. Or you can tag with us on social media or online and go to the Gift of Freedom on Facebook, Leslie Gift. Or you can send us uh, some messages via our email, thegiftoffreedom.com. Please tune into what we're doing. We love serving you here at the gift of freedom. In closing, we want to let you know no justice, no peace. It's very important that we band together, stick together, and continue to share information on what's important and what's not important in our communities. So you can be rest assured that we will continue to fight the good fight here at the gift of freedom. We ask that you do the same. If you see something, let us know. If you didn't get the worth us reporting, let us know that too. Because we want to give you the information that you will need to walk out there and be very successful in your efforts to bring about peace and justice in your community. Thank you so much. On behalf of the Freedom, I'm Lord Paul. God bless. Good night.